You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. So hi again, I'm Tim, uh, I'm the Senior Minister here at St. John's. And uh, in our preaching series at the moment, uh, we're doing a series called Peacemakers. Uh, We kicked this series off uh, last Sunday. And through this series, we're thinking about the reality of conflict that we experience in our lives. And we're thinking about what the Bible teaches about how we deal with conflict in a way Uh, which shows that we are followers of Jesus, looking at the teaching of Jesus, looking at how we do conflict differently in the way of Jesus. So last week, uh, we kicked off by just thinking about the reality of the conflict that we experience in our lives. And we uh, said that where there are humans, if you put two or more humans together, then you will necessarily have conflict. Just give it enough time and conflict uh, will emerge. And we said that that's even true, perhaps especially true, in the church. Um, The church is a really diverse community of people. Uh, Every single one of us acknowledges the fact that we're not perfect. Uh, We have sin in our lives, which leads to conflict. Uh, And because at church we're dealing with some pretty serious issues, spiritual matters, weighty matters of life, uh, and that can lead to conflicts uh, even in the life of the church. doesn't mean it's an excuse for Christians to behave badly, Uh, It's the opposite of that, actually. Uh, The fact that we recognise that conflict exists and it even exists in the church means that we should actually work harder at dealing with it, at changing the way that we do it, uh, and having God work in us by his Holy Spirit all the more and take more and more seriously what God has to say to us uh, in his word, the Bible, about dealing with conflict. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, James chapter 4, and we saw that the source of conflict actually lies in the human heart. So deep within each one of us is the source of where conflict comes from. Uh, There are desires in our heart. We desire good things for ourselves. We seek after good for ourselves. But often these desires within us, which can be good desires, get frustrated because someone else wants the same thing as we want and we're competing for it, or uh, someone else wants something different than we want, but we have to agree together because we're married or we're part of a church together who has to agree on on something. Um, So we have these frustrated desires. We want things, but we can't get them, and that often leads to arguments and to fights, uh, even to violence that can result from those frustrated desires that we have. Uh, And we came up with this definition of uh, conflict. A conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So let me ask you, how have you been going in the past week uh, with conflict? Have you been uh, even more aware because of us raising this and talking about it of the conflicts that have existed uh, maybe at work, maybe at school, in your family life, wherever it might be? Have you been aware and noticing the conflicts around you? Uh, And if you have, have you been noticing how uh, or what the desires within you are that have led to those different conflicts? What is the frustration within you or the frustrated desire 
that is leading to those uh, conflicts. Um, James's sort of diagnosis of the problem, looking into our hearts, is helpful, isn't it, as you start to look at your own conflicts and to ask the question, what am I desiring in this situation? What's that other person frustrating in me that's leading to this sort of conflict? Uh, And at the end of last week, we all went home depressed because we just talked about how conflict's everywhere, how it's a big problem, uh, and I didn't offer any solutions but just to say how bad the problem was last week. So everyone went home looking very glum, uh, and you're back this week, I hope, looking for some answers. Uh, I said last week that through the rest of the series, it's basically unpacking what the answers are to this problem of conflict we experience in our lives. Because we know conflict is a big problem, We know it's a deep problem because it resides in our own heart. So if it's a big problem and a deep problem, it's going to need a big solution and a deep solution to solve this problem. So I could stand up here today and I could say, here's 10 tips for dealing with conflict. Um, Think of it as clickbait, 10 rules to guarantee a peaceful life for you, right? But a series of rules, you know a series of rules just isn't going to cut, is it? Uh, conflict is too big a problem to just go, okay, top 10 tips, tick them off, let's do it, and the problem is solved. It won't work. Uh, Often we make resolutions, things that we want to do, but we break them. Uh, Often we pledge, hey, we're going to try harder in situations of conflict, and we fail. Just because we might know the right things to do doesn't mean that we're able to do them. Often our problem isn't knowing what we should do, but having the power to deal with these problems. So in order to deal with conflict in our lives, in order to be people who make peace, peacemakers, we're going to need a power source that will drive us, motivate us, and direct our efforts. Uh, And I want to talk about that power source for us today, because that power source is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has achieved by his death and resurrection, and the implications of that good news in our own lives. Sometimes when we think about the good news of Jesus, the gospel, uh, we can think about it um, just as something that Jesus did for us, uh, and that if we trust in Jesus, that means Well, our sins are forgiven, the wrong things we've done have been forgiven, and when we die, God will welcome us into his presence. We think of the gospel as a bit like a plane ticket, right? If you buy a ticket on a plane, you get a piece of paper, uh, or you have it on your phone, but you just tuck the ticket away in your back pocket or in a drawer until you need it, right? You don't pull that ticket out until you're about to catch the plane, until you have to present it to get on the plane. And sometimes we can think about the gospel in that sort of way. Like, it's a ticket, it guarantees um, that we'll have eternity with God, but we don't kind of need it yet, we just tuck it away until we're going to die and face um, God and need to present the ticket. Here's my ticket, Jesus has forgiven my sins, please let me in. Now, the gospel does that, it does guarantee eternity with God. It gives us security, it gives us hope. Uh, There's a guarantee there that we will spend eternity with God because of the forgiveness we have in Jesus. But the gospel is so much more than that. 
The gospel should be something that transforms every aspect of our lives, including how we do conflict. So it's not something that we just tuck away, but it's something that knowing it, uh, rehearsing it, reminding each other of it, is something that empowers what we do each and every day. Now, the Bible presents the good news of Jesus in a variety of different ways. It uses different pictures, different images, different ways of describing what has happened to us as human beings in relation to God through Jesus Christ. But one of the ways that it's described in the Bible is in terms of conflict. A number of passages in the Bible speak in this sort of way, and Colossians chapter 1 which Teresa just read to us, uh, is one of those ways uh, that it's described like this in terms of a conflict. Uh, If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to grab them. It's on page 954, so that you can sort of follow along as we unpack this together and think about what it means uh, for us, especially in relationship to conflict. So Colossians 1 focuses on how great Jesus is the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus is in charge of all of creation. It was made through Jesus. It was made for Jesus. He holds it all together. He is the boss of the world. It also says that Jesus is supreme in the church. He started the church. He's the head of the church. So whether you're talking about the world or the church, it's all about Jesus. We focus on him. He's the centre of everything He's the boss of everything. But then from this great image of Jesus and how awesome he is, Paul focuses on what God has done through Jesus in our lives and in the world. Uh, So what he's describing here is this good news, what's achieved through Jesus uh, for people. And he describes that there was a problem between people and God. And that's spelled out in verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. Do you see that he's presenting the problem in terms of a conflict here? Okay. He says, God and people were alienated from each other. Alienation speaks about a breakdown of relationships. Sometimes people use a word uh, estrangement. That might be a weird word to you, but it basically means people who should be friends, people who should be in relationship with each other, are now strangers from each other. They treat each other as strangers rather than being friends. Uh, There's a falling out in relationship. They're not speaking to each other anymore. They're not seeing each other anymore. Uh, You might have experienced this uh, in your family. You might have experienced this Uh, with friends, Uh, it is very, very painful where this break in relationship happens. Um, I've had numerous experiences in my wider family where this has happened. Two cousins uh, who grew up being uh, great friends with each other had a disagreement with each other. Uh, One cousin was selling their furniture to the other cousin because they were moving overseas. They had a disagreement about the price of the fur- it looks so petty, doesn't it, in hindsight often. They disagreed about the price of the furniture. Um, their spouses got involved. Um, one threatened legal action 
for the other, and they didn't speak to each other ever again. They didn't speak to each other for decades, uh, and this year um, uh, one of them died, and it was never reconciled. The other one has to live with that now for the rest of their lives, that they never spoke to their sister again, and she's now gone. That's what alienation is. That break in relationship is incredibly painful. And God says, uh, Paul says in Colossians, that's what's happened between us and God. The God who created us, who made us and loves us and knows us intimately, wants to be in a loving relationship with us. We've been alienated, separated from each other. In fact, he uses even stronger language there. He says, in fact, we've become enemies in our minds. We've set ourselves in our minds, our wills, against God. Uh, Now, I don't know whether you've got anyone in your life that you would describe as an enemy. That's a pretty full-on thing to have, isn't it? Someone who uh, is that strongly opposed to you. When we watch movies, you know, superheroes have their arch nemesis, and it's kind of cool, you sort of think, oh, so, you know, um, to have an arch nemesis. But in real life, it would suck, wouldn't it? You know, someone who's intent on destroying you, someone who's intent on undermining you the whole time. Um, enemies uh, are not fun things to have. Um, but that's what's being spoken about between people and God. Um, opposing God, uh, standing in opposition to him, um, proactively sort of, having a dislike for the God who made us. Now, you can make some powerful enemies in life. You might make enemies with politicians, uh, with judges, with police officers, uh, and that's pretty dangerous because they have great influence and power that they might use against you. But what Paul is saying here is that humans have made an enemy of the all-powerful God who oversees everything in the universe. So it's a massive, massive problem And, to make things even worse, it's emphasised that the problem is caused by us. End of verse 21, the reason that this conflict has come about is because of your evil behaviour. We're to blame because we've acted in a way to make an enemy of God. We've been the one who've been responsible for it. So the whole description of the problem that exists that has to be dealt with, is described in terms of a conflict, a fight, a relational breakdown between people and God. And it's been caused exclusively from our side as human beings. So look in in your Bibles at verse 22, because praise God, verse 22 starts with one of the most beautiful words that you will ever find in the Bible. But. But. This was the situation, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So in the midst of conflict, God brings reconciliation. Reconciliation is about restoring broken relationships, removing hostility that exists between people, re-establishing a positive friendship. We were enemies of God, but we're not now. We're his friends. We were estranged from God, but we're not now. We have intimacy, constant personal contact with God. 
And notice that it's God who takes the initiative to bring this reconciliation, despite the fact that we're the ones who've caused the problem. Now, what usually happens, if you're in an argument, if someone does wrong to you, uh, there's, a, there's a conflict situation that we're in, someone treats you badly, says untrue things about yourself, uh, about you, abuses you, right? what happens? You would normally say, well, they started it, so it's up to them to come and apologise to me. Or they started it, so it's up to them to fix it. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, humans have caused this problem, so it's up to them to fix it. We can't fix it. Instead, God takes the initiative to reconcile us to himself and he does it through Jesus Christ, who dies in our place on the cross so that we are declared to be without blemish, Paul says, completely cleansed from our sins, uh, free from accusation. There's no charge that can be brought against us. Our wrongdoing is dealt with. Jesus takes it upon himself to repair the relationship between us and God. Back in verse 20, Paul puts it like this, that God makes peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Peace comes through the death of Jesus. There's reconciliation between God and humans. Uh, Actually, it's bigger than that. In verse 20, he says, do you know what? God's not just concerned for reconciliation between himself and humans, but he wants to reconcile the whole of creation with himself that because of what we've done in rejecting God, the whole of creation is mucked up and wrecked and out of relationship with God. But in bringing reconciliation, God's just not concerned about people, but everything that he's made. He wants to bring reconciliation between everything in heaven and everything on earth through Jesus Christ. So there was a break, there was a conflict, there was a problem, but through Jesus Christ, God takes the initiative to repair the relationship, to restore what was broken and to bring lasting peace in the midst of the conflict. That's what God is all about and he achieves it through his son Jesus. So what are the implications of that? If that is the truth of what Christians believe, what are the implications for us sitting here today? Well, let me first say that if you are someone who is not a follower of Jesus yet, if you're here investigating Christian faith Uh, Maybe you're interested in Jesus, but you wouldn't say that you're someone who follows him yet. You haven't made that decision. That reality of alienation from God still exists if you haven't come to Jesus Christ. You are still out of relationship with God and needing to be back in a restored relationship with God. The Bible makes clear that it only can come about through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who takes our sin upon himself and therefore we need to come to Jesus to receive him, to ask for his forgiveness so that he can restore the relationship between God and us, God who made us and loves us and longs to be in relationship with us. Um, Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul says, I implore you, I beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. God has done it, he's taken the initiative Jesus' death provides everything that we need to be in relationship with God, but we need to respond to what Jesus has done. We need to say yes to Jesus, put our trust in him, and make a decision to give our lives to him. If you'd like to talk to someone about that tonight, I would love to talk to you after the service. 
uh, or talk to anyone else that you've seen up front. Uh, drop a note through our Connect card system and say, I'd love to talk to someone more uh, about how I can be back in relationship with God through Jesus. If you are already a follower of Jesus here today, um, then the gospel has big implications for you and specifically it has big implications for the way that you and I approach conflict. You see, the gospel, the news about Jesus, what God has done through Jesus is our story. If we're followers of Jesus, this is the reality of our story and it shapes the way that we live our lives. The way that God deals with us is to direct and to empower the way that we are to deal with other people. So if we understand the truth of what's happened to us in relationship with God, you can think of that as sort of the vertical dimension of life. God has restored the relationship between us and him, but he hasn't done that so that we can just live in splendid isolation in this lovely relationship with God and ignore everyone else around us. No, God restores the relationship between us and him, the vertical relationship, so that we can then live out our horizontal relationships, our relationships with other people, in light of what God has done for us. The vertical relationship must influence our horizontal relationships with each other. Um, The way that God has dealt with the conflict between us and him must be the guide and the model for how we deal with the conflicts that exist between we and other people. That's the starting point. It's the way that the Bible often talks about these things. It often speaks in this way that because God has done this for you, therefore you are to live in a certain way. You are to live in light of what God has done for you. And in fact, if you flick over a page, actually it's on the same page of our Bibles, you flick over to Colossians chapter 3, you see this exactly the way this is laid out. Paul writes there in verse 12, it's on the screen, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. All right, those are instructions for dealing with conflict, aren't they? Uh, we're being told to bear with each be patient with each other, to forgive each other. This is sort of uh, advice on, on dealing with conflict. But what's the motivation? What's the reason? Why should we do this? It's the last sentence. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Our starting point is what God has done for us in Jesus. He has forgiven us. Therefore, we are to forgive other people like he's forgiven us. It empowers the way that we relate in the midst of conflict. Everything that God has done for us, the entirety of the gospel, the things that we know as Christian people that guide and direct our lives must shape the way that we then live it out in relation to other people. So as a Christian, you have been chosen by God. You are dearly loved by him. You are precious to him. You are his child in relationship with him. Therefore, you are in a place of security where you can love other people 
even when they're not being lovely. As a Christian, you are a forgiven person. God has said, I am not going to count your sins against you. The list of wrong things that you've done, I've got rid of it, I've chucked it out, it's gone, forget about it. So that means that we're freed up, actually, to forgive other people in the same way, knowing that the debt's been cleared from our account and we can be generous in the same sort of way with other people. We're freed up, as Christians, to be able to admit our own faults when we're in a conflict. Because we know that there are no secrets from God. God knows everything. God knows the depths of my heart, the sin, the bad motivations, the things that lie within there. He knows it, and yet he still loves me, and he still sent his son to die for me. So that gives me the freedom to say, do you know what? I'm still going to stuff up and make mistakes, and I can freely admit those in the midst of conflict where I've done wrong by another person because God already knows it, and God will forgive me. I'm free to admit that to someone that I've hurt. As a Christian, we can take the initiative to seek reconciliation with other people because by doing that, we're actually modelling what God has already done for us. God took the initiative with us, even when we were his enemies, Jesus came to die in our place. He took the initiative for his enemies, therefore we can take the initiative to be people of reconciliation. You see, it's only in this context, it's only in the context of what has already happened to us, what God has already done for us, knowing how precious and loved we are by God in understanding the forgiveness and life that we've received, that we can properly deal with our own human conflicts. We need to start from that place of safety, that place of power, that place of transformation that has already happened for us, so that we can deal with the conflicts in our own lives uh, in ways that will be powerful and meaningful. Uh, The American uh, pastor and author Tim Keller uh, says this, All change comes from deepening your understanding of the salvation of Christ and living out the changes that understanding creates in your heart. Faith in the gospel restructures our motivations, our self-understanding, our identity and our view of the world. We need to keep reminding ourselves of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ keep reminding ourselves of the good news, what God has achieved, and have our lives changed and transformed by that reality. The gospel is not just a ticket that we save to get into heaven. It is God's power now for change, changing our lives today and every day, changing the way that we think about and we deal with conflict. You see, often when we deal with a conflict, uh, we think about it like this. right? There's, there's me and there's you, and we're in conflict together, and it's a contest. It's a contest, and I've got to win, and I've got to stop you from winning. That's often how we, how we think about it. We think about it as a contest that we've got to, be, got to, we've got to win it. It's, it's me versus you. But Christian people really need to frame their, uh, reframe their conflict in light of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we've got to see conflict not just, well, it's not a contest so much as an opportunity, right? So in the next diagram, there's not just me and you, but there's also God who has already acted 
um, to restore the relationship with me in the first place. And it's not just about me and you and who's going to win out of us, but actually how can we see reconciliation between us, a deeper relationship between two human beings who are known and loved by God. Now, over the next four weeks as we go through this series, we're going to go through each of these sort of components, each of these steps one by one. That's where we're going next to unpack that, right? Because there is much more that we need to think about. There's more practical details. There's more difficulties that we've got to wrestle with. But as we go away today, I want us to think about a conflict, maybe that you're already involved in. Think of something that's happening in your own life right now where you're in conflict. It might be small. It might be big. Uh, At school, at work, at home with uh, a neighbour, whatever. And I want you to think about that conflict and try and reframe it from being a contest that you've got to win to an opportunity where you can show another person the good news of Jesus and what God has done for you in Jesus. Is there a way in that conflict that you're involved in right now where you can model to the other person something of the character of God? Knowing that God loves you, God has forgiven you, God has reconciled him to to you while you're still his enemy. Is there any positive initiative that you can take to show the other person a glimpse of how good God is and how God has dealt with the conflict between us and him. Can you think of a more practical way that you could demonstrate to another person the beauty, the grace, the love of God than to model the gospel, to live it out in a real, concrete, relational way in the midst of that conflict that you're currently in? If we want people to see how amazing God is, what he is like, how he deals with people, what better way is there than to actually live out what has happened to us through Jesus in the way that we treat other people and be agents of reconciliation in the relationships that we're in? So let me pray for us uh, as we face that. Lord God, we recognise that conflict is hard, it's painful, that this is a big and a deep problem that we have to deal with. But we thank you that we come from a great place of strength in dealing with our conflicts because you have already dealt with the conflict between us and you, a much bigger conflict, and that you've done it through Jesus Christ, through his death in our place. Help us to demonstrate in our own lives your forgiveness, your grace, your initiative in reconciliation. We ask for a special pouring out of your Holy Spirit upon us that we would be agents of peace and reconciliation and demonstrate to the world uh, what you are like and a new way to live as followers of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.